The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. There's something very enjoyable, very pleasurable about watching Foolish Hope. I mean, about watching his, okay, I guess so you're saying there's a chance. There's something kind of just joyful about that. It's that chance that gives uh, many people hope in a lot of situations. It's actually why I think a lot of people do the lottery. Um, it's now called the Mega Million Lottery. I guess multi-million, uh, super lottery or whatever. It's got to go mega now. It's Mega Million. Last Friday, it was $29 million. $29 million. That's, I mean, that's absurd. It's a whole lot of money. And we all understand the statistics. Uh, we understand what our, what the, our chances of uh, winning those are. We understand that it's typically the people who have money who don't buy lottery tickets. And it's the people who don't have money who do buy lottery tickets. And it's those who do have money who know people who don't have money who buy lottery tickets to whom they give the advice, don't buy lottery tickets because it's, it's not in your favor and you could save that money and that would be a wiser thing to do. We all understand that. Uh, I, I know some of you buy lottery tickets. I don't think there's anything wrong with buying a, a few lottery tickets or whatever. I don't personally do it. I don't think that people buy lottery tickets because they can't understand the math. I don't think they buy the tickets because it's just too complicated for them to understand how the odds work. I don't think that's why people buy lottery tickets. I think people buy lottery tickets because between the moment of purchasing the ticket and the time that the number is called, there's the possibility of winning. So you're saying there's a chance. It's that little window of hope. People are willing to pay a dollar for just a little bit of hope. I mean, that's the whole campaign. You can't win if you don't play. We love hope. We long for, for hope. We will pay a dollar for a tiny little piece of it. Last week, if you were here, I talked about uh, two dangers that many can experience in life. As we move on in life, we can experience ignorance and apathy. And if you remember me talking about that, and I said to you, and I asked you, what is ignorance and apathy? You might say, nicely done, nicely done. I don't know, and I don't care. Okay? I love that. I love that. Ignorance is easy. Read a book. Apathy is a little more tricky. Apathy is something that's harder for us to get out of. It's something that, uh, that can be so overwhelming for us in our, in our journeys when, we, when that's what our experience with life, with God, with others um, moves toward. And we long for hope. Apathy means that there is no hope. Apathy means that we're hopeless as we look to the future of the significant things in our lives. And that's what we're going to look at today. I invite you to bow your heads with me as we launch into this. Father, I ask for your uh, power and your presence to be here in this room. Would you bring hope maybe to places 
that people have not experienced hope in a long time. Maybe deep places of the heart of the soul that have not experienced hope in a while. Father, would you come, uh, maybe with our permission, maybe with, even without our permission, God, come and access those places. Would your hope just pour into this room, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, as we talk about uh, uh, hope and its relation to apathy, I'm going to talk about the marriage relationship uh, because I think it is the most tangible way or one of the most tangible, tactile ways that we see this concept of apathy sneaking into the most significant relationship in our lives. Uh, My wife and I, we have what we call... um, Heavy conversations. And, and, you know, every once in a while, you gotta, it's usually something I did wrong. <laughs> and, and so we have to sit down, and we have, to, we have to process through, and we need to have no kid time, and we need to sit down, and, and they're never fun. Never fun. You just, there's some arm crossing, there's some mumbling, there's some, oops, I wish I didn't say that. There's some, uh, uh, there's a lot. There's some quiet time. You're kind of looking at each other, and you kind of, you got to just work through it. And there are kind of some some down some of these kind of conversations. You got to work through this. Sometimes when we're in the middle of one of those, the phone will ring, and it'll be a friend calling for my wife, and she'll pick up the phone and she'll turn on a dime. She'll pick up the phone and she'll say hi. Oh, hi, how are you? So good to hear from you. Really, that's awesome. And I'm over there thinking, who is this person? Where, where's all this energy and this enthusiasm for this other person that is not a part of this exchange that we're having right now? How can she flip like that? And then she gets off the phone. All right, what were we talking about? Boom, for those of you who've been married for a while, you know and remember and understand how apathy can just sneak its way into that long-term relationship. And the marriages that, uh, and the marriages that stay in that place of apathy are the ones that don't have hope. It's the marriages that break through those moments of apathy. Those are the ones that have hope, knowing that there's something way beyond this moment right here. So uh, uh, when marriage is hard, and it is, um, what are we shooting for? Why are we working on it? Why do we do this this home team stuff that I was talking about, and we're going to talk about again in a little bit? Why do we work on it? Why is it so important uh, we, I get uh, people who come in and talk with me about marriage stuff sometimes, and, and sometimes people come in and they're just fighting, fighting right in front of me, and they're yelling at each other, and, and the whole thing can get pretty volatile, and the whole situation right in front of me, and, and, and a few times I'll just say, time out, time out. Why are you here? Because you don't even look like you like each other. Why, why are you pretending that this marriage is important? Blah, blah, blah. I mean, why do we go after it? Why is marriage so important? Is it because we just don't want divorce? Divorce is just wrong. We're afraid of it. We don't want to go there. Well, does that mean we're willing to take something bad, in other words, a bad marriage, an apathetic marriage, I'd rather have something bad than something that's worse? Is that really as high as we could shoot? Or maybe we're saying um, uh, the Bible says we're not supposed to. The Bible says we're not supposed to uh, get divorced. The Bible says we're supposed to stay married. Where? 
I'm not saying the Bible doesn't say that. I'm saying if that's your driver, if that's the thing that keeps you moving forward with this one long-term relationship, your kids are going to move on, your friends are going to move on, it's that marriage is going to be the one thing till death do you part. In that relationship, if it's the Bible that's telling you to do that, what does the Bible say? Do you really know? If that's all resting on that, do you really know? Or maybe it's for the kids. Why are we doing this? For the sake of the kids. Well, then there's the standard question. What happens when the kids move on? What's left of the marriage relationship? My parents, they hung on, they stuck it out until I, the youngest, was 13. I'm not sure what the long-term benefit of that was. Why do we fight for marriages? Why is this so important? Is the bar low for us or do we actually have hope that it's possible for the bar to be higher than what we sometimes think? What are, what are we shooting for? What, what is the thing that we're, that we're going after? Why are we fighting for marriage? Is there any hope for something that's beautiful, for something that's vibrant? Overcoming apathy requires hope. It allows us to go beyond just survival and going into thriving. Beyond just, beyond just surviving and going into thriving. I need to know that tomorrow or the day after that or pretty soon, my wife is going to be able to talk to me the way she talked to her friend on the phone again. I need to know we're going to get back to that, that she can say, wow, that's awesome to me and not just to other people. I need to have the hope knowing that we are going to return back to that. Overcoming apathy requires hope. We long for hope. Our hearts yearn for hope to be, to be inspired towards something better. I think that's one of the draws for the Olympics. You know, the NBC, they, before the Olympics, they travel around the country and around the world and they get their little snippets you know, they're little, they're little pieces that they put together before a race. And if I was an Olympic athlete, I would love for NBC to come and do a report on me because then I know I'm going to win the gold medal because that's just the way it works. Whoever they did a report on, that's, I, don't, I don't know how that works all the time. But they go out and they do their amazing stories to help you understand who these people are. If you have been following the Olympics, then you would be familiar with a, a gentleman named Oscar Pistorius from South Africa. He's known as the Blade Runner. When he was a little boy, his legs got, uh, had to be cut off for some reason. I can't remember why. But his mom uh, was real tough and said, hey, this isn't a big deal. And basically said, your older brother is going to wear shoes and you are going to wear legs. Any questions? And just said, we're, we're going to move on. We're going we to act like you are just like any other boy. And he, he thought that about himself, and he moved on, and he became a, uh, um, uh, an athlete, and then he got into running, and he became the first double amputee ever to compete in the Olympics. He ran the uh, 400 meter. He became second in his heat and met his goal, which was to compete in the semifinals. And he didn't get beyond the semifinals, but he met his goal, running the 400 meter in 46 seconds. 
boom. It's unbelievable. This guy's incredible. We watch his story and we go, that's awesome. We love the hope. We love the inspiration on that because we hear the story and we think, if he can do that with what he has, with the cards he's been dealt, imagine what I can do with the cards that I've been dealt. We've all been dealt cards, and there are different things, there are different circumstances that we have to deal with in our life, things that we have either inherited or things that are a result of our decisions. But we decide, okay, with what I have in front of me, can I be inspired by something like that in order to raise the bar a little bit? Getting inspiration from outside of ourselves, from a person like Oscar, is great. That's why we watch the show. That's going to stir us up with the Olympics. But it can only take us so far because there comes a point, there comes a time when we separate ourselves from that inspiration and we say, yeah, I can't. I can't. Maybe that person can, but I can't. It doesn't matter how many times I watch a little snippet on Oscar doesn't matter how inspired I am, how excited I am about going out and running a 400 meter. There's no way I'm going to run it in 46 seconds. No way. I can run 100 meters in about 46 seconds. I mean, it's just, there's just no way. It comes to the point where we separate ourselves from the thing that is inspiring us. But what is more inspiring than what somebody else has done is what you have done. Because when you look back on what God has done through your life or experiences that you've had, that, is the, that should be the most inspiring thing for you because that doesn't allow you to say, I can't. If it's something that you've done, you can't say, I can't, because you did. You can't say in your marriage, I can't love him anymore. We've, we've drifted apart. I can't love her anymore. Yes, you can. Because you did. Very few people stand before that person on their wedding day, look at that other person, and think, eh. (laughs) I mean, that's very rare. (laughs) Eh. It was there before. So what has happened? Yes, it's a complicated journey to go from there to where you might be today. But yes, you can. You might say, well, he's changed. She's changed. We're different people. Yes, we are. But a boat with barnacles is still a boat. A boat, even with a whole lot of ugly barnacles, is still a boat. So here's the question. Here's the main question I want to ask today. If you feel like you're experiencing some apathy in your marriage or if you're not married, if in other significant relationship, have you ever been vibrant in that relationship? Has it ever been vibrant? Has it ever been what you hope it might be able to be someday? My guess is that it has. And that should be a tremendous inspiration for you. Yes, you can, because you did. I want to take a look at a section of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 5. If you brought your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. Ephesians chapter 5. It's in the New Testament. And I always remember that section by General Electric Power Company. Electric, Ephesians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians chapter 5. 
It's written by Paul, and I think it is the most direct section of Scripture with regard to marriage, how to be a wife, how to be a husband. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Did he just read that? (laughs) I can't believe he just read that. Dad, that's one of those things that you're not supposed to read in church. We don't read those anymore. We don't read those in church anymore. This section does not say one gender lords it over the other uh, gender. This section does not say uh, one gender gets whatever he wants. In the next chapter, Paul uses the word obey. In the next chapter, when he's talking about an unequal relationship between the parents and child, Paul does not use the word obey here. What Paul is saying here is, wives, there are times where you need to give up your rights for the sake of the marriage, for the sake of the family. There are times when you need to submit, give up your rights, what is rightfully yours, for the sake of the marriage, for the sake of the family. Now stay with me. I can see, there's enough light in this room, I can see everybody. Because Paul continues and he talks to the husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Paul says, husbands, you are to give up your life for your wife the way Christ gave up his life for the church. Husbands, You are to give up your rights at times for the sake of the marriage, for the sake of the family. Husbands, you are to give up your rights. Lay it down, what you are entitled to perhaps, for the sake of the marriage, for the sake of the family. You see how this works? Before all of this, Paul says, submit to one another. One does not lord over the other. When one submits uh, to the other and the other gives up his life for the other, there's this cross thing that says we are going to overcome, we are going to shoot higher than the bare minimum. Elsewhere in Scripture, Paul says, outdo one another in showing honor. Let's shoot higher than just, it's not 50-50. It's 100-100. We shoot beyond the other person. That's the beauty of what Paul's talking about here. Let me skip a verse, and then I want to read verse 33, which I think is the most profound verse in terms of the marriage relationship. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husband. Let's not forget this. Let's not lose sight of this. 
as we get uh, uh, years behind us in marriage, let's not drift from this simplicity, husbands. Remember, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Those are easy things to do when you're dating. They are, they are effortless things to do when you're dating. Husbands are future to be husband. Love your future wife. No problem. He says, honey, I would like to go see The Dark Knight Rises tonight. And she says, you know what? I want to watch gymnastics with those twirly little things and they throw balls up in the air because it's the Olympics and it only comes around once every four years. Sure, honey, I'll watch that with you because I just want to be with you. Husbands, love your wives. That's date talk. That's dating talk. That's rarely marriage talk. Wives, respect your husbands. Future wives, respect your future husbands. Well, I know he doesn't have a job, but he's such a creative thinker. That's dating talk. It's very, it's very easy to do in the dating process. But what, what happens as you get married and you've been married for a while, these things that are so beautifully simple that Paul lays out for us, they become as heavy as a lead balloon. And, and that's where we get the whole concept of ball and chain. Because this thing, after a while, is just harder. The twirling things at the Olympics, are you kidding me? <laughs> Whatever the example might be, it just gets harder. It's different than when we're dating. So here's the question for you. Here's the question for you. If you um, feel like these simple, profound concepts are not effortless for you in your marriage, love your wife, respect your husband, if you feel like maybe some empathy has entered into your journey, we want to invite you into a journey here this fall. We've been talking about it for a while. There's been some banners out front. It's called The Art of Marriage. This is our primary uh, action plan for our home team initiative this fall, The Art of Marriage. This is for those of you who are married. On your way out, you can, if you'd like, pick up one of these packets. And in it are two cards. One card is a date conversation plan. It's called a play card. And we have play cards at home team for a number of different things, a number of different dates and ideas you can do with your kids and all that. The play card for this plan is that you would do the date as described on here, talk about the things in the back, and, and stir up this concept. Talk about this a little bit. As an incentive, a few of the uh, envelopes have a $50 gift certificate in them to a local restaurant. So you don't even have to pay for it. It's covered for you. See, now you're going to pick up an envelope, aren't you? <laughs> Now, I don't want to be in the lobby and seeing a bunch of people. I'll take three. Yeah. Kind of tear them out. No, 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 no. If you get the card, you have to talk about the questions on the back. God is watching. I don't use that language much, but he is. Okay, so the other thing that will be in that envelope is an invitation to what is called the art of marriage. That date is just kind of a conversation starter. 
And we're offering a 12-week small group journey with a number of different options. You can do that here as part of a Sunday morning class. You can attend the 9.30 celebration, and then you can do the Art of Marriage class either before or after, depending on what the options are. You can do, as part of our Wednesday night life, you can do a class. There'll be a number of D groups in people's homes that will be doing this class. It's a 12-week journey where we'll go on off from a class to doing a date, and then a class, and a date, and an all. So six of each as this thing will, will uh, move forward. If you have any questions, folks will be in the lobby. There'll be tables. You can pick up packets and the whole thing. You can go to the website, call us, whatever. We would love to invite you to be part of this, to consider moving from apathy to sizzle and uh, allow us to team up with you on this and encourage you with this. Now, let me... Let me do one more piece before I, before I close. I want to read a verse from Ephesians 5 that I skipped over. And for those of you who are familiar with Ephesians 5, you're aware of the fact that I skipped over verse 32. And verse 32 is kind of a linchpin. Let me read it. Paul just talks about wives do this, husbands do this. And then he says in verse 32, this is a profound mystery. Really, marriage is, is a profound mystery two different genders, which often kind of feel like two different species, getting together, committing themselves for the rest of their lives. It's a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church, Paul says. The whole thing, marriage, is all a beautiful metaphor for our relationship with Christ. The whole thing, the whole love and respect versus apathy, all of that is a metaphor for our relationship with Christ. It's all about learning how we can connect with the bridegroom who is Christ. We've been in a series this whole year, AD, the year of our Lord. We've been talking about having a real relationship with Christ. And what might that mean? Last week we, we introduced this concept of apathy and the fact that it, it really is real. It's a common thing. It's a big deal. That Jesus is inviting us into something significant and sometimes we're just drifting off to sleep. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And so with regard to your relationship with Christ, I want to ask the same question that I asked about marriage because, because Paul is saying they're so connected So I want to ask the same question. If you are experiencing uh, apathy or what you may be considering apathy in terms of your relationship with Christ, have you ever experienced vibrancy in that relationship? Has there ever been a vibrancy and a vitality in that relationship in the past? If the answer is yes, then How did that happen? What was going on? What what was a part of that story? Stir that up. We can't can't relive previous experiences and, and copy that. That's not the way it works. But it can give us tremendous hope and inspiration to know, I know what that feels like. I know that that's possible. And I want to have that again. And I will do all I can. I'll pull over. I'll do all that I can in order to experience that again. That should be a tremendous inspiration for you. If your answer to that question is no, maybe you're, you're thinking, this is all just a little weird. You're thinking, yeah, the church, that, that, that's just religion. That's my faith. It's important to me. 
But vibrancy in relationship with Christ, maybe that's not something that you can relate to. Well, I just want to ask you then this morning, do you believe it's possible? I mean, that's what we've been talking about this year. Do you know somebody and trust somebody enough who actually has a vibrant relationship with Christ to believe it's possible to experience that here on earth? That that's part of God's overall story is for us not just to know about him, but to have a relationship with him. Do you believe it's possible? Is there any hope that that may be what a relationship with Christ could look like? There's a huge difference between, in marriage, between having a hard day, a misunderstanding, a rough conversation, a heated conversation, a rough moment, and apathy. There's a huge difference there. And in terms, it's the same thing in our relationship with Christ. There's a huge difference between having a bad day, between slipping up, uh, uh, entering back into a sin, uh, drifting, forgetting for a period or whatever. There's a huge difference between that and overall apathy. And the difference is hope. When, When we have hope in those relationships, those experiences, those bad days, those things that we don't wanna carry with us, They are temporary. When we have hope, those are things we just need to wade through in order to get to the place that we know we're heading. We're not sure how long it'll take. We're not exactly sure how long we'll stay there or whatever, but we know these things are temporary because we're going somewhere. When there is no hope, those experiences are not temporary. Apathy, overcoming apathy, requires us to have hope. It requires hope. So as we close today, as we give an opportunity to respond to God, my hope is that hope will pour into this room, will pour into your hearts. We're gonna give you an opportunity to to do a number of different things here in the room. You can come up to the cross and you can uh, fill out a red card and write, uh, write something on it and then literally nail it to the cross. Maybe that's something that has been getting in the way of your hope for a long time and you don't want to carry that anymore. You can come up front for unassisted prayer here at the front. No one's going to bother you. You can come and light a candle. Jesus refers to himself as the light of the world, the hope of the world. Maybe there's some light that needs to be lit in a dark place in your life. Further to the right, there'll be folks who would be honored to anoint you with oil for physical or spiritual healing. At either of these exit signs, folks on our prayer team would love to pray with you with what we call assisted prayer. Or you can participate in communion if you are a follower of Christ. If he is the Lord of your life, you can take the bread and the cup, which represents his body and his blood, broken and poured out for you. You can participate in that, of course. You can stay where you are, sit, stand, worship. You can, uh, I don't have one in front of me, but the thing that you received on the way in with the game plan card, you can just take a moment to reflect on that and say, what am I going to intentionally go after over the next 120 days? And enter into this moment with zero apathy. And, and if you check something, say, yeah, I'm, I'm intentional about this. I really, I really want to raise the bar in this area. Would you just take a moment to reflect full on, fully awake, take the next few moments with our God. Let's pray. 
Father, I thank you that you are a God of hope, not false hope, not just uh, motivational speaking kind of hope, but a hope that has access to places in our hearts that no one else has access to. And Father, I pray that this moment and any words that are spoken here, that they are not the pieces of hope. It is your presence, your whisper, your nudging that gives us hope, God. Would you come and fill this place with your hope? We give you access in the next few moments. Come, in the name of Jesus, amen.